As we continue our series today on Honest to God, I want us to begin to think about the idea of church. And for a lot of people, they don't get church. For believers, we wrestle with the tension of church. There are seasons where we want to engage. There are seasons where we're wondering why we're even coming. And maybe other times, does it even really matter? And there seems to be this crisis of faith between what we experience and what we call church, doing church, and what we, we feel like it should help us uh, find and provide for us. And so within this, this idea of church, you have this tension between, is it, you know, what, what does this one hour or so on Sunday morning do for me throughout the week? Does it really matter? You talk to the community and we've heard this over and over again. It's like, well, I can worship God anywhere. I can spend time with God anywhere. I can have meaningful experiences with God anywhere. And I would have to turn around and say, yeah, that's true. You should be having meaningful experiences with God in your everyday life. Because if God is everywhere present all the time, and ultimately Christianity is about us knowing God, then for us to live in our everyday life being aware that God is near and that God is there and that God is working and moving in our life and that He actually is calling us into a deeper relationship with Him, that ought to be the experience of our life. But my question is, why the disconnect between that ideal and the experience that we call church? And so I I really do think it comes down to an issue of perspective. We wrestle with church as organization and church as organism right? You know, when we think of church, we think of building, we think of place, we think of pastors, we think of ministries, we think of structure. When you read the Bible, you get the idea of community that is organized and on mission, which you still need those tools. They're they're opportunities, they're blessings, and it seems like misplaced priorities. But today, I want to challenge you to think about church differently. And I think it really comes down to that one thing, that tension between do I see church as a community or do I see it as an event that I go to, something that I go to? And how do I make that connection into my everyday life? I think it comes down with you admitting to yourself, me admitting to myself, that the goal isn't to get people to go to church. Today, I want to give you three reasons why you need to stop going to church. All right? Three reasons why you need to stop going to church. Here's the first one. You need to stop going to church to pursue a growing faith in Jesus in relationship with other people. That's the first reason why you should stop going to church. Because see, what I, what I can do here is I can inspire, I can give you truth, I can open up God's word to you, I can uh, cast vision and say, here's what church could look like, I can, I can empower people, I can raise people up. But what I can't do is I can't give you a growing faith in Jesus. I can give you tools for you to have a growing faith in Jesus. And the other thing I can't do is I can't give you the relational connection with other people. That's something that we build together. And we see this in God's Word. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, really powerful passage when it talks about the birth of the church. When, When they started to realize that God... You know, when he invades our life, he made them part of a community. So God makes us a disciple when we place our faith in him, and disciples coming together is the church. It's the community of believers. 
And this is what it looked like to be a part of the community of the believers called the church, the gathering of believers. Peter made his appeal to them, and with many other words, he urged them, saying, Save yourselves from the punishment coming on this wicked people. And so he's talking about this message where God is trying to save people out of darkness and bring them into light. And this, when they, when they turn from darkness to light, they become part of the church, part of God's community, and they become believers. And he said many of them believed his message and were baptized. About 3,000 people were added to the group that day, to the gathering, to the church, if you will. And he goes on, he says, and then they spent their time in learning from the apostles. So there was this idea that somebody was teaching them the word of God, opening up people that were gifted with the ability to, to teach the word of God in power and authority. And they were teaching, and then they were taking part in fellowship and sharing in the fellowship meals and prayers. And so they would come together and they would process what this meant in their daily life and they begin to encourage one another. See, fellowship means to come alongside to do life together. It's like, so here's this incredible truth about God, and God wants to move and work in our lives. And, and what does this look like, and how can we encourage one another? And hey, let's sit down over a meal, and let's talk about this, and let's think about this, and let's pray for one another, and encourage one another. And man, let's pray for one another. And this marked their lives. And many miracles and wonders were being done through the apostles, and everyone was filled with awe. So you would run into the church, to believers in the community, and they were just filled with awe over who God was and what he was doing in their life. And when they would come together in their living rooms, they would become filled with awe over what God was doing in their life. And when they would come to the synagogue on the first day of the week, they were filled with awe because of what God was doing in their lives. And all the believers continued together. Hear this. All the believers continued together. That's church. In close fellowship and shared their belongings with one another. And they would sell their property and possessions and distribute the money among all according to what each one needed. And day after day. They met as a group in the temple, and they had their meals together in their homes, eating with glad and humble hearts, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. So it's this this idea of community and what God was doing and how it shaped the way these people lived their lives personally and corporately had an incredible impact on the community around them. And every day, the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. See, this is church. A group of people that come to know Jesus, to know God, so deeply impacts their lives that they connect with other people. They, they have this common bond right off from the bat. No matter where they are, no matter what they come from, they're part of this family of believers that has become called the church, the gathering of believers, people coming to Jesus and knowing him and loving him and following him. And it so marked their lives that it changed the way they lived. It changed the way they spent their time. And they wanted to learn and they wanted to grow and they wanted to grab a hold of things. And they realized that they needed one another. If it was really going to make a difference in their life and it was really going to sink in, it was really going to become meaningful for them. They knew that they needed one another. And that's really hard in our culture because everything about American Western culture is 
self. Self-improvement, self-awareness, self-actualization. Individualism, personal responsibility. We hear this all the time. People don't step up in leadership. They don't volunteer within the church. Why? Because I need to get some things right in my life first. And then when we read the book of James where it says they confess their sins to one another and they pray for one another, they might be healed. We don't ever do that. And maybe we never really find freedom from sin because we never really get to that. God really was on to something when he said, I'm going to make you part of a family that's deeply connected to me because the strengths that you need are going to be found in community. This is what makes church powerful. It's the believers, this, this sense of community, it's this belonging before becoming that really would speak volumes to our community. But that's not Western church experience at all. Become before you belong is what the culture perceives the church to be about. See, I think the greatest heresy within the church is the teaching of personal faith in Jesus. We set you up right from the get-go when we turn around and say, you got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You want to know what that means? It means it's personal. It's none of your business. I'm in center. I'm in control. And we don't mean it like that. We want it to be meaningful, but we don't use meaningful. We want it to be profoundly impactful in your life, but we don't really use that terminology. But because we live in a culture of individualism, in isolation, in trying to appeal and appease everybody around us to fit in and find a norm, it really distorts faith. And we don't know what it's like to be a community. And so when we read books like the book of Acts, it's like, oh my gosh, you're trying to tell me, pastor, that you want us to get together every day in the temple and listen to you preach? Absolutely not. I want you to interact with one another consistently and on a daily basis. I want us to know other believers in this community, that other congregations might flourish, that other believers would be in this sense of awe. I'm tired of feeling like I have to compete with my fellow pastor friends in my own community. I feel like those walls have to come down. Because after all, that's church, a community of Christ followers that find a way to gather and connect and to pursue Jesus. We need to stop going to church and start pursuing a growing faith in Jesus in relationship with one another. The second reason why we need to stop going to church is to use my spiritual gifts to encourage others in their faith journey. Right now, you're not using your gifts. Unless your gift is a gift of sitting, <laughs> which I know, <laughs> right? Which is a big gift. Now you guys are using your gifts, right? And but it's it's kind of watch watch the gifts, right? This is church has kind of become watch the gifts. When there's this incredible power within the community of faith, there's this incredible power within you. This anointing, if you will, this mystical spiritual language that when you came to Christ, God gave you a spiritual gift. Do you know what it is? Do you use it? And see, using it can't be a program, right? Because then we got to you know, create all these systems and processes for people to be encouraged. 
Really? (laughs) You have the gift of encouragement. You know what you should do? Encourage people. The program, here's the plan. Meet people, find out where they're at, get contact information, and encourage them like crazy. That's it. I don't need a paid staff person to manage people encouraging one another. That would be crazy. But we do it, don't we? We so do it. See the need, meet the need. Where do we see this? Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, really powerful verse. We have many parts in the body, in the one body, and all these parts have different functions. So looking at the human body, we're like, I'm one person, and I have all of these incredible parts and DNA and cells and all of this stuff working together to keep me alive and functioning. It's really a beautiful thing. There's not one thing in my body that's not important. And in the same way, though we are many, we are one body in union with Christ. And we are all joined to each other as different parts of the body. So each one of us, when you become a believer, you get adopted into a very crazy dysfunctional family. And some of your relatives in God's family are weirdos. You know, and we just need to own that. We don't need to criticize other believers. We don't need to criticize other congregations. He's going to say, hey man, that's, that's just my crazy aunt or uncle. They're just, they're out there a little bit, but they're family. And we understand that we're part of this, this body and we're individually connected. We have significance when we connect with the bigger picture. Without it, we have no significance at all. It would be like me, and then my hand is detached over here. The hand has its most significance when it's attached, attached to my body. So we are to use our different gifts in accordance with the grace that God has given us. We need to use these with the ability and blessing that God has given us. Grace is not just covering inadequacy, but is giving us ability beyond our pay grade. See, it's not about, well, I'll get to a certain point where I'm actually useful in the church. It's like, you were a believer in Christ from day one, you are useful. And it's like, I'm five. And you're useful. I'm 55. And you're useful. The number of people that I've talked to throughout my years in ministry feel like it's an issue of age, that there's this prime spot, you know, where you're old enough to know better and not too old to not be relevant anymore. And that's your sweet spot. And those are the people that lead to church. Well, if you're trying to put on a show and appeal to a market, yep, exactly. If you're building a body and a movement that changes the world, not so much. Gifts, we all have an important part. And so church has got to be bigger than going. And what I do here has to be empowering and and helping people to discover and know who they are in Christ and what God wants to do with them. If our gift is to speak God's message, we should do it according to the faith that we have. Step out in faith. That's the program. Just do it. If it is to serve, we should serve. If it is to teach, we should teach. See, there are things that we can do when we come together, and we can do incredible things when we come together. As a church, we can provide 50 backpacks for kids that don't have school supplies. 
Collectively, we come together to meet a very big need in a localized place. But you and I, we can make a difference individually. We can see that person at the grocery store. You know, you've ever been in line, you got that person that's trying to sort through whatever cash is in their wallet and realizing that they got to take some stuff off their grocery belt so they can pay for their food. You ever seen that? You know what you could do? Hand them your card. You could serve in that way. No program. People are going to look, why would you do that? I want you to know that God's people love you. Most people get that God loves them. What they don't get is that another believer would love them in a sacrificial way. It's a gift. We should just do it. If it is to encourage others, we should do so. Whoever shares with others should do it generously. Whoever has authority should work hard. And whoever shows kindness to others should do it cheerfully. See, this is church. In everyday life, using our gifts to build up each other, to make a difference. It's beyond the hour that we spend together. We don't find community, folks, by searching for it. For so many of us, we're looking for the sense of community. We're trying to find a perfect church, a perfect fit for us. We find community by building it. If you're coming in looking for community, that's a really hard sell. Because I have to figure out what it is that makes you tick and then magically provide all of the things that you need to make you feel at home. We should be welcoming. We should be loving. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be those things. But to really help you feel at home and feel safe, I have to figure out what makes you tick. And that depends on how willing you are to be honest with me. And it depends on how willing I am to be honest with you. But see, when we start using our gifts and loving each other and serving one another, just being encouraging and taking people at face value, and there's not this nifty little program that you have to sign up for to grovel for help or seek encouragement, the walls come down a lot quicker. See, the one another's of Scripture, it's worded like that for a reason. Mutual investments. We love one another. I'm going to love you. You're going to love me regardless. I'm going to serve one another. I'm going to serve you. You're going to serve me regardless of where you are all the time. If God is our resource, then none of us come to the table with anything to offer. All we're trying to say is, God's awesome. Let's serve each other. Well, I feel broken. Great. In my weakness, God is strong. In my strength, I give back to those in need. Either way, it's a mutual connecting with one another. Notice it and say, just love others, serve others. That means that you're the source, that you are in charge, that you are the reason that other people are blessed. No, it's the one another's of Scripture. And that is something that we have to do beyond going to church. The third reason that you need to stop going to church is to participate in a movement that brings holistic healing to the needs of humanity. And I purposely chose these words that are not very churchy. You know, we're talking about the gospel because we need spiritual healing as much as we need emotional healing and as much as we have physical needs within our world that should be, that should be met. But it's this idea of holistic healing, the idea of renewal completely spiritually, emotionally, and physically 
And that we are to participate in this movement, this sense of mission, the Great Commission, is to take the gospel, the renewing message of the gospel that renews us spiritually, that renews us emotionally, that renews us spirit, uh, physically. We take this message to humanity and we do it together. John chapter 20, verse 21. This is where Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Jesus came to show us what it was like to know God, to come back to God, to be renewed. Everything good that we desire is found in God. Everything that we experience within humanity is temporary and broken. And God sent his son to restore that, to redeem us out of brokenness into life. And it's good news because it's like you don't deserve it. And I'm not going to ask for you to work or earn or deserve it. I'm going to give it to you. Do you want it? And will you follow me? And so Jesus says, the Father has sent me to do this, so I send you. What does this look like in play in our life? Well, the first one is, is that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus tells us what he came to do so that we don't have to guess. What did Jesus do? He came with the intent to seek and save, to find and restore those who are being ripped apart from God who are being ripped apart by their own life, their own rebellion, their own sin. The Son of Man came looking to restore those folks. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we have to be about the same thing that God is about. Another reason that the Son of Man came is he came eating and drinking and said, look at this man, he is a glutton and a wine drinker. So people looked at Jesus and said, man, you're hanging out with some sketchy people. You're a glutton and you're a drunk. A friend of tax collectors and other outcasts. And God's wisdom, however, is shown to be true by all who accept it. God's wisdom was this. No one is ever going to be hated into the kingdom of God. No one is ever going to wander into the church if they feel isolated, marginalized, and unworthy. Jesus was saying that I'm going to spend time with people. I'm going to be God. I'm not going to compromise my integrity, but I'm going to love people where they are spiritually, where they live. And he had times where he was deeply invested in people's lives, even to the point where other people could say, you know what? I don't know what Jesus is doing exactly because I'm not hanging out with those people. But I imagine if he's hanging out with them, he's getting drunk and he's having sex all the time. And he was accused of it. And Jesus' wisdom was this, I'm going to love people in the middle of their brokenness in a way that shows them light. I'm not going to ask for them to clean themselves up and play church with me. I'm going to give them life that is going to push back darkness. Matthew 20 verse 28 says this, like the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, to redeem many people. See, this is another thing that we need to do. We just need to serve people because they have a need. Not for what they bring to us. Not because we're trying to fill a room with people. Not because we're trying to get to a self-sustaining organization. But because we believe God is worthy of worship and that people need to know the beauty that comes from following Jesus, from having them in their life. That unending comfort, that unending joy that endures no matter what the circumstances are, whether I have plenty or I'm in want, whether life crushes me or I'm on top of the world, I want to know what it's like to know God.
See, that's another reason Jesus came. And then there's a fourth one. When Jesus is about to be flogged under the direction of Pilate, Jesus gives us another reason that he came. He turns around and he says, I have come to bear witness to the truth. We're to tell people about the gospel. We don't just love them, spend time with them and serve them. We, we tell them how to find life in Jesus. And Jesus did that with his words and with the ultimate expression of the cross. And then he leaves us with this commission, if you will. He said to them, go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to all people. To go. Don't wait for people to come to you. To go. See, we need to stop going to church so that we can fill the world with the holistic healing of Jesus. And we need to be doing that personally in our lives, but collectively as a church, we come together to encourage and pray and serve alongside of each other to make a difference around the world. We meet needs physically, we meet them emotionally, and we look for the opportunity to share the spiritual hope that renews all those things, that redeems people out of brokenness and darkness. But that creates friction, right? Because the old argument is the church for the believer or for the lost person. I'll show you some more things that came out of my social media feed this week. It begins with a post on Facebook. It says, hey, Facebook friends, I have a favor to ask. Would any of you happen to know someone who does not believe that there is a God? My daughter is supposed to interview someone whose beliefs are different than hers. Private message me if you have an idea of someone she could talk to. Thanks. How does that statement bounce off of you? How does that question bounce off of you? How is it that you need to find someone that doesn't believe there is a God in post-Christian Christian culture? How do we get there, right? We're going through life, and we don't even know who's around us. We're, we're busy. And church sometimes contributes to that. goes on. Sadly, I've got a whole list, one person responds. And then they come back and says, it is sad, right? I'll let you know. Why is it sad? There's a disconnect. I don't know anyone that does not know God. That is sad. Everybody should believe in God. How are they going to know? unless someone tells them. Sadly, I got a whole list. It's sad, right? I'll let you know. Here's what goes down. Another person pipes in and says, I too have a huge list. And then God told me to get rid of my pagan agnostic friends. Would she want to talk to people from Florida? Or can she talk to some Mormons from Utah? If God told you to get rid of lost people in your life... I have to ask you something. <laughs> Why? Is it the fear that you're going to jump into their sin patterns? Or is it they just annoy you and push back against your beliefs and cause you to doubt what you believe? Why? I'll let you know. If 
If it's impossible to separate Jesus from his mission, because Jesus told us what he came to do, and every page of Scripture tells us what Jesus came to do. If it's impossible to separate Jesus from his mission, then it's impossible to say you are following him and not be on mission yourself. This is the gospel. God invites us into a relationship with him. He gives us each other to help us grow in our knowledge of Him. He gives us gifts to build one another up so that we can walk with God and to be on mission with Him. And God says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to follow me. I want you to join me in what I'm doing in my movement around the world. I want you to be a part of something bigger. See, this is the gospel. Let's bottom line it. Church is not something that we can go to, but something that we are. If church is something that we are, then that changes everything. That means that we can't disassociate from church as a Christian any more than you can disassociate from humanity as a person. It comes from a pastor that I follow called Carrie Newhoff. You can't disassociate from the church as a believer. It's who you are. You can't disassociate from humanity no matter how broken, ugly, and weird it gets because you're a person. You have a choice when you face the dysfunction of relationship. You can run and avoid it, or you can enter into it to bring hope and change. See, Jesus never intended for the church to be an event that happens on Sunday morning. He meant for us to come together to learn, to be encouraged, to worship, to check out for a few minutes, if you will, and remember how big he is and be reminded of how close he wants to be in our everyday life. And that is part of what we do throughout the week where we spend time with him and we get together with one another and we have coffee and we pray or we, we send a text to one another saying, hey, I need encouragement or hope today or, or we serve one another. We go out of our way to bless somebody at their workplace or to leave something on their doorstep and we have to be willing to interrupt the busyness of our life to do what God has gifted us to do. In any system that we bring to organize that, we'll slow it down. Why come to church? Because we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. It calls us out of ourselves into a community that pursues Jesus, builds community, and restores hope. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 puts it like this. Let us be concerned for one another, to help one another, to show the love and to do good. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more, since you see that the day of the Lord is coming nearer. This is church. God wants us to be a community that deeply loves him, each other, and those around us who need to know him.